Welcome to STR Unfiltered, where we give you actionable episodes without the bullshit. Here is your host, Bill Faith. Got to give a huge shout out to my boys over at Price Labs. Man, do they make my life easy. I don't have to manually adjust rates. I don't have to worry about tracking all these different compression events or you know, what days I need to raise or lower my pricing. Look, the beauty of using a dynamic pricing tool like Price Labs is they do it for you. It's as simple as going in and setting your, your low, your medium, and your high pricing. And then they're the ones that are extracting all the data from all the other short-term rentals, Airbnb, Verbo, you know, the compression events that are coming in, hotel data, and they optimize your pricing for you. Look, it's really simple. I believe that if I had to do my pricing management manually, I'd probably be costing myself 30 to 35%. So if you want to make that extra 30 to 35%, make sure you check out Price Labs. It's my go-to and it should be yours as well. They're giving you a huge discount and a 30-day free trial. All you have to do is go to hello.pricelabs.co, click on the start your free trial at the top right-hand corner, and literally use my personal code, Bill25. That's Bill25, all caps, and get 25% off your first three months. The link is also in the show notes, so it is super easy access. Get it now. Look, you're not gonna be able to maximize your profit without dynamic pricing, and Price Labs is my go-to. It should be yours as well. Hey everybody, Bill Faith here. Welcome back to STR Filtered. Got a little rock music playing for you guys today. I know that is highly unusual. Uh, this is the No Bullshit Podcast, SDR Unfiltered. And today we've got another person that has no, literally no filter, no BS. She is a brand new member of my STR super team. I'm excited to have her on the podcast for the very first time. The number one go-to agent in the entire country for you and me as SDR investors. You probably already know who it is. Miss Avery Carl from the Short Term Shop. How are you, Avery? I'm doing awesome. How are you, Bill? Sorry, I didn't have any Iron Maiden to be able to play uh, for your intro today. Yeah, I think you have to pay licensing for that anyway. So I will. I'll take what I can get. Exactly. <laughs> we'll change that. It, we'll get some licensing for uh, for the conference coming up on your intro music. <laughs> hey, thanks so for joining me today. I'm just gonna, we just dive right in. So everybody knows who you are. I'm excited to have you on the podcast. I'm excited to see you tomorrow. Actually, everybody's flying in tomorrow for our deal. I just got one question for you. This is 10 minutes. I don't want to waste time, uh, okay. your time. What, what are the two or three things, Avery, that, that people that are investing today, what are the mistakes that they're, they're making? What are, what are some myths that you can bust? It's a different world today than it was a year ago. And I think a lot of people still think it's 2021 or 2022. All right. So a couple things. Uh, one of them, which I could talk about in a number of different senses, uh, is trying to reinvent the wheel. So first off there is people see, you know, there's a, everybody is an influencer now. Everybody's posting about what they're doing. And a lot of new investors will see people that are doing all these crazy, really, really cool things and think, well, you know, I can't start a glamping thing or I can't start a treehouse community or insert crazy thing here. So I'm just not going to get started. You don't have to like get a spaceship that blasts off three times a week. You just have to buy a house that will work in the market that you're buying in. So something that is what the tourists have come to expect. You make it cute, you make set it apart a little bit from the rest of the pack, which does not have to be expensive. 
It can just be a, decorating it a little bit different than everything else. So that's one big one is people getting comparing themselves to other people who might be on a different journey than them. That's um, a big problem, isn't it? So, I mean, yeah. you have a big uh, social media following. You have a group like I do all that type of stuff. We see that all the time, right? And it's kind of like, if somebody says something, it's Facebook official, it's got to be true. That's what, yeah. what do you think about people growing too fast? So I have to have that conversation a lot because I myself grew pretty quickly, but I did not get myself into a scenario where if one of my properties underperforms that then the rest of them are leveraged all to heck, you know, with maybe with a bunch of HELOCs or a bunch of refinances to where I've never done a cash out refinance. I have all my equity and everything. So I think growing as fast as you want to, I mean, that that's good, but you do have to pay attention. Like where I see a lot of people get messed up is leveraging too many properties against too many other properties or getting too many partners involved. I was actually at a conference last year and one of the other girls on a panel with me in front of 500 people said, I'm looking for equity partners. Who wants to buy houses with me? And I was like, oh my God, that sounds like a nightmare. Why would you want to have a hundred partners when the goal is to eventually own things yourself without partners? You know, a few partners to start out, great. You got to get your feet wet somehow. But Getting too many partners, I think, especially too quickly, is a great way to end up burnt out and eventually getting out of it. Have you ever had a partnership before? I've had one partnership, and we are still besties. We were great friends before that, and uh, we still are now. And the reason we got out of it was because it was a money partner situation, so it was on our third and fourth properties. And we did the very typical... He was the money guy. We were the sweat equity people and we split everything 50-50. And after about two and a half years, we were like, hey, you know what? We can get our own properties now. And then, you know, do you want to buy us out? Because that way we don't have to just, and it was never a situation of, okay, this partnership has gone bad. It was just a, an us thing saying we can buy our own properties now and uh, we can buy things to where we're making 100% instead of 50. So how do you want to do this? Thank you so much for the help. But, you know, let's move on here. That is so awesome. This podcast is going to go off the rails really quick. <laughs> but I want I I to unpack two things that you just talked about. I've done 27 startups. I've had outside, I, don't, I won't count my wife because we're like one unit. But we've had partners 13 out of those 27 times. And a lot of them were before I went through what you did in a business, my Glow Golf business. It was a $32 million business. I couldn't have built that on my own. And I didn't have the capital to be able to do it. And I have a guy found me who put up all the money. And I think a lot of people think, Avery, like people like you and I, that we're just filthy rich when we started. We can go buy whatever we want. I know your story. I know my story. And that's just not the case. It's through, you know, if, if you didn't have that person, you probably wouldn't be sitting here today. If I didn't have mine, I probably wouldn't be sitting here today. Yeah, yeah, it definitely. I think a, a lot of people who are not in the real estate investing space think those of us that have vacation rentals are just these rich people who have these houses that like rent them out when we're not using it. And that's not the case. Right. You, you said that you've never done a cash out refi. Have you ever done a HELOC? I've done one HELOC on my second property. We HELOC'd about 15,000 out of our primary home to make that down payment. And we did that and we paid it back immediately. So while I am a big fan of leverage and I'm a big, I'm 90, 8% Robert Kiyosaki. I do have that little 2% of Dave Ramsey in me where I don't like having owing money to anything. So, uh, but I do like HELOCs because you can pay them back. But the deal is with us, with Luke and I, we always said we're paying this back first 
before we take any money to do anything else. And that's what we did. I want everybody that's listening to go back at six minutes and 29 seconds right now. Go back 90 seconds and listen to what Avery said again. Because once again, I think there's so many people out there, Avery, so many influencers, especially the young ones. Hey, cash out refi, reposition as quick as you can. HELOC as quick as you can. And they're leveraging debt upon debt upon debt upon STR, STR, STR. And when one goes bad, it's going to affect all the others. And there's usually not an easy way if you, if you don't have equity to sell an asset, unless you're rich and you're just cash rich to be able to exit out of that. I've never done a HELOC. I've never done, I've never done a HELOC in the real estate investing side. I did a HELOC in this house that I'm in many years ago to start a business, but very similarly to you, I paid it back immediately. So please be prudent with your cash when you're out there, folks. Don't get too leveraged. I'm, I'm the anti, I, I'm right in the middle, Dave and Robert, right? And I have fortunately not had to do that. It scares me a little bit, especially when you do your primary home. And I'm like in no man's land here. So I've got a house that I live in that's worth about 2 million. I owe 300,000. I could easily pull out 1.5 million and I literally, Avery, I have dreams at night. What can I do with that 1.5 million? <laughs> you know, and then, but then I wake up and I'm like, no, I'm not touching the home. I'm not, you know, you're, you have a young family. Mine's a little bit older. Just that security of knowing that I don't have to work. This place is never going to be taken away from me if the mm -hmm. shit hit the fan. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. And I, I think every day, like I'm a very high anxiety person anyway. So I'm always like, man, things are going really good. Something bad's about to happen. The other shoe's about to drop. Anytime things are going really well, I'm like, oh, it's happening now. So uh, I kind of unfortunately always have that in the back of my mind, which I think is part of the reason why we've been successful and why, you know, we aren't over leveraged is because both of us in the back of our minds are like, but if everything, if all the shit hit the, can I cuss on this one? Uh, um, it is a fucking explicit podcast. Don't worry about okay. it. As long uh, as your kids can't hear you, you're good. <laughs> if all the shit were to hit the fan, we could stay in the house that we're in. We could do nothing would have to change, really. So that's our goal. And we think about now we've got a lot of doors. It's like, well, should we pay some of these things off or should we buy more? Because it generates enough cash flow for us to be happy now. But it's like so we could go buy more but that's creating more work for us. Or we could pay one off and it will over double the income that it's making for us. So we're kind of in that weird space right now. Because that middle space where you have, you know, like 40 to 70% equity or 40, really probably 30 to 60% equity is a bad space, right? I mean, you're not putting your money to work and you've got all this equity sitting there. And I live in that space because I'm trying to pay everything down, but I'm also on the back end of my career. I'm much older than you are trying to sunset. So you mentioned you're full of anxiety and when things are great you think about things could get bad you know i i went i've been through that many many times in 2008 you know covid 9-11 the sales and loan crisis in the early 90s you know the stock market crashing at the millennium all these things that i've lived through and i kind of feel the exact same way i know none of us have a crystal ball but how are you planning your how's your investment strategy now and what, what do you think the outlook is for the next 12 to 24 months? So interest rates are going to continue to be a thing. And I mean, obviously I don't have a crystal ball, but I watch CNBC like every morning for two hours while I'm making the kids breakfast and getting them ready to try and like keep an eye on what everybody's saying about the economy. And who knows? I mean, I don't think that interest rates are going to get terribly much higher. I think we have a couple more hikes coming and then I think they're going to level off. I don't think they're necessarily going down this year. 
But I think that in terms of buying properties, it's the best time in the past five years to be a buyer because a lot of that, you know, two years ago, yeah, the interest rates were low, but you had to pay like 100000 over asking for every single property to even for your offer to even be considered. And now you can actually negotiate and, uh, you know, get sellers to come off of that purchase price or maybe to give you money towards closing costs that you can then use to buy down your interest rate. Value add is always a good way to go. Properties that you can add value to. And by add value, I mean appraisal value. I mean, you can always add income by, you know, with decor and things, but I'm talking about the actual value of the property. Uh, value adds a good thing to look at right now just to make sure. I don't think we're going to see like huge, huge drops in purchase prices, but we're we're seeing some softening for sure. So it's really hard to say. You just kind of have to be careful, like, you know, with any with anything at any time in the economic cycle. So we are past the 10-minute time, but we're going to go into bonus time, everybody. So Avery's <laughs> too good to let go in, in 10 minutes. Um, so I want to ask you, so if you're just joining us, this is Avery Carl. She's the founder of The Short-Term Shop. She's the number one go-to short-term rental agent broker in the entire country. She has a super, super keen knowledge and expertise uh, in vacation rental markets. And I want to talk about one that you're really branded with, and you kind of, I think you got started there. It's really the Smoky mm -hmm. Mountains. Yeah. Um, the smoke you, you talk about, and I, and I, I believe the same thing. You can buy a, a $500,000 property. You just got to figure out how you're going to differentiate it, position it and market it. How do you, how does somebody do that in the smokies today? If they're looking to invest, you know, if, if I'm, if I'm your older brother or your friend of your dad's and I'm investing and he says, Hey, talk to Avery. She's the expert. And I say, Avery, I've got 200 grand cash. I'm willing to spend a million dollars on a property. What are you telling me to buy as a family friend and where? So depending on what your goals are. So some people really want to see like full capacity, calendar capacity. So in that case, you want a one or a two bedroom because they're going to be booked, have a much higher occupancy rate. But if you go up to like the four bedroom range, you are going to make more money. You're just going to have a lower occupancy rate. So what I would say, the good thing about the smoking, like, yes, there's a zillion short-term rentals there. That's another thing. Back to your first question, mistakes that I see people make is avoiding a market because there's a lot of short-term rentals there. So there's a, short, a lot of short-term rentals for a reason, guys. If you go yeah. in, <laughs> Let, Let's go invest, <laughs> you know, 100 miles outside of Norman, Oklahoma, where there's no traffic. There's nothing there. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that so would be broken bow. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So if you, if you buy somewhere where there's none, that's great. But just because if there's a lot, it's easy. The infrastructure makes it easier. There's cleaners, there's handymen, there's all these people already there. You don't have to go, you know, train somebody to do something. They all kind of know what they're doing already. And the tourism is there. So anyway, the good thing about the Smokies is that even though there are lots of, of rentals and there always have been, a lot of them that hit the market that, I mean, that go for sale are just, they're still grandma cabins and the good thing about cabins is their tongue and groove so it's not like there's that much you have to do to update a cabin you know you paint the cabinets a cute color you change almost everything that hits the market too still has laminate countertops accent walls are a big thing it's very easy to do an accent wall it is very easy to do like a dark navy or a dark gray or even a white accent wall to kind of do the whole nordic vibe rather than the grandma cabin vibe so it's really not difficult to do something like that. And it costs very little to set it apart and, uh, you know, just update furniture. Everything that hits the market in the Smokies has log furniture and bear decor. That's really easy to change. 
So if if Avery Carl and if Avery and Luke are buying a cabin in Pigeon Forge, what type of furniture are you going to put into that cabin? Are you doing the live edge beds and that type of stuff, or are you going to go something different against the grain? I and I hate to be basic like this, but the modern farmhouse furniture is it goes in there easy. It looks like it's supposed to look. It doesn't look like, you know, you're trying to make a New York City loft out of a cabin in the Smokies, but it's not that I'm I'm over log furniture. I'm tired of log furniture. It's cool and all, but every single cabin has that. So if you could do like, I really hate, I hate that I'm saying this because I loathe shiplap, but the Chip and Joanna vibe like totally works in the Smokies. It looks cute. It looks updated. It still looks like it belongs in a cabin. So modern farmhouse all the way. Modern farmhouse. I love it. It's interesting that you talk about those laminate cabinets. My wife just got on a flight to our Montana. Now remember, and that's why I'm kind of, you know, trying to zone in with her, you know, with the vibe wearing my camo today, because I couldn't go with her. I'm really disappointed. <laughs> and you know, when, when you and Luke go out to Wyoming, you're gonna have to get rid of the ACDC shirts and throw on some camo <laughs> and stuff like that. Yeah, we'll get it. We got it. But like <laughs> the house that we bought, laminate, you know, old, probably built in early 2000s, you know, it has the old Formica laminate uh, countertops and the same stuff in, in the bathroom. And we don't have a huge budget to put 150 grand. And to your point, we're doing the kitchen countertops and we're remodeling the two bathrooms. And then she's doing like murals and hand painting some mountains in a bedroom and, you know, stuff like that. You don't have to spend hundreds of thousands of dollars on these, on these cabins. Avery, if I'm going into the Smokies, Pigeon Forge, Gatlinburg or Sevierville, where, where do I, do I have to be like within a mile of Dollywood? What location should I be looking at there? So if you're doing the Smokies, all of it is going to rent relatively similarly. So Pigeon Forge and Gatlinburg, even though they are their own municipalities, they're really more like districts inside the larger municipality of Sevierville. So Sevierville envelops Pigeon Forge and Gatlinburg. So um, a Sevierville address does not mean that it's north of Pigeon Forge. It could be way south, just one step outside of the Gatlinburg city limits and still have a Sevierville address. I would say buy where the best deal pops up because as long as you're within like a 30 minute drive time of either the strip in Pigeon Forge or the strip in Gatlinburg, not equidistant, that's not possible to do, but either or, then you're in good shape. So folks, she said something there that hopefully all of you caught, buy the best deal right? Buy the best deal. That is something that Kenny and I, you know, and by the way, for those of you that are going to get ready to typing out, you know, my email address to send me hate mail about Broken Bow. I love Broken Bow, but if you want to send Kenny Bedwell, you know, a hate email about the date on Broken Bow or Logan, Ohio, it's Kenny at strinsights.com. Send him <laughs> those emails, not me. Just kidding. What, what are, what's number two of the, the biggest myth or mistake of people that are investing today to get back on track here? Uh, so I guess number two was not investing somewhere because there's a lot of short-term rentals there. And then Let, let's get... unpack that for a second, okay. Avery, because okay. you're, you're, you're in the panhandle, you're in Destin, you're in the Smokies. Those are the two markets outside of probably Orlando where, you know, I'm looking to make a pretty large investment there right now and working with one of your guys to try to find the right spot. Those are the three markets that typically pop up that, Oh my God, it's oversaturated. I cannot invest there. Well, I mean, how, how do you talk somebody off that ledge? I kind of use the McDonald's Burger King analogy. Yeah, I'm familiar with that analogy. The other thing that I would add to that is that I've been, I have the unique perspective of being the demographic that grew up in an area that visited both of those markets all the time when I was a kid. I'm from Mississippi. So my argument there would be 
that everything in these markets has always been a short-term rental. So I actually, for for short-term rental, a Build Short-Term Rental Wealth Conference was looking at some data for my presentation and I was looking at how many rentals were on AirDNA because that's you know what I have access to in 2015 when I bought my first one and how many are now. So in 2015, it says that there were 800, there were less than 1,000 short-term rentals in the Smokies. That is not true. There were thousands, there were tens of thousands, but there were, all, there were less than 800 that were on a measurable platform, which is Airbnb and VRBO. Everything else was on old mom and pop, short-term rental, vacation rental management companies that don't use those platforms. So it's not that there are 10 times the amount, because I think last year it said there were 8,000 in the same area that I searched. There are not 10 times the number of short-term rentals. There are just 10 times the amount that are now on Airbnb and Verbo. Same thing in the Florida Panhandle or Gulf Shores or anywhere. All those properties have always been short-term rentals. It's just as of the past like five years, I would say, that self-managing a short-term rental has become a viable strategy. So all a lot of those that already existed are just moving onto those platforms. So it's moving off of mom and pop property management companies onto Airbnb and Verbo, which is now measurable. But there have always been thousands and thousands. It's not that thousands of investors are coming into these areas and buying things that used to be primary homes and that used to be long-term rentals and converting them and flooding the market. That's all that ever was there. It's just a changing of the style of management now. Really seeing that over the last 12 months in Western North Carolina, you know, mm -hmm. in the ban ban it's been a, the Banner Elk, Beach Mountain, Boone, you know, Newland, Seven Devils area has been a very, very sleepy second home market. And those small like Blue Ridge vacation rentals, the small, you know, that have 20, 30, 50 properties. And they're just like Avery said, they're just listing on their own sites. Um, and there's not even a regional up there, you know, so that's the saturation of a market. And I do believe in trying to find secondary markets, but the secondary market still has to have volume. It has to have a traffic driver. It's one of the reasons, like if you listen to the two other podcasts that you guys should be listening to are SDRonomics with me and Kenny Bedwell from SDR Insights and Avery's from the short-term shop. The and, and you'll see that none of us are investing in the markets that have less than probably 400, 500 SDRs in it. Uh, there's just, there's no, if, if, the, if that market hasn't built up by now, there's probably not enough traffic drivers to make significant investments into those markets. Avery, your parting shot? Uh, I, I would say don't get caught up in what other people are doing. You know, run your own race. Uh, what do they say? Uh, winners focus on winner. Winners focus on winning. Losers focus on winners. So run your race. Worry about what you're doing. Don't look at what other people are doing. Worry about yourself, and you'll get there. I'm gonna just add one thing on that. A lot of people followed me into Western North Carolina, and I'll just let you know it was over a hundred days. It was close to 120 days before I announced publicly that I'd done anything in Banner Elk, North Carolina. By that time, my 85 people in my mastermind already know about it. And there was like eight or nine investments that were made out of there. Understand when somebody like any, I hate the word, I hate this word, Avery, but when any influencer, Avery, myself, whoever, we're keeping this shit private for our own family when we're making investments. You're going to, you're, it's like when you watch Ron and Son on MSNBC or whatever. If we're, if we're investing in the market based off what we see at MSNBC, we're like a day behind everybody else, right? So I wouldn't want to be a day trader following that stuff. So I think you make your, look at every deal, like Avery said earlier, go into a great market, go into the Smokies, go into Western North Carolina, Broken Bow, you know, the 
wine country of Texas, but buy the deal. Run your performance. You, you never buy a market. The market is where you want to enter, and that's what starts the research process. So, Avery, I'm so excited that you joined me today. I really appreciate it. I look forward to seeing you tomorrow. See you tomorrow. Um, and, at the, and at the conference. Yeah, All right, just a sneak peek. What, what shirt are you wearing tomorrow? I know it's either got to be uh, ACDC, okay. Iron Maiden, Megadeth, or Guns N' Roses, I'm thinking. So I actually got a few new ones for this. I got Rat out of the cellar 1984. Wow. I got Ozzy, Speak of the Devil, and then I also got Dio. And I can't remember which one it was, but I did get a Dio shirt. That's going to so. be legit. And I, know, <laughs> I, I don't know where this studio is we're going to be tomorrow, but I'm sure we'll be able to get you over to, what was it, the Blue Ivy, Black Ivy? What was the name of that place? Black Shag Vintage. Black Shag. We'll make sure to get you over there. Awesome. Thanks, thanks for joining me, Avery. Everybody, thanks for uh, listening to the SDR Unfiltered Podcast. Make sure you check out Avery's on the short-term shop. We'll see you guys next time. Thank you for listening to STR Unfiltered, where we give you actionable episodes without the bullshit. This podcast is a Hospitality.fm production.